Lord, we once again ask for your spirit to bless our time in your word. We know uh, that this is a spiritual book and we can't understand it uh, without your spirit, God. So I pray that you would open our eyes to see, uh, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us in this text. I pray that you would speak to us personally and profoundly, Lord, that we would be able to filter through um, what applies to us right now in our present circumstances uh, and, and maybe what doesn't. As we look at this specific story in the life of David, we know this is all true, but we also know your word is living and powerful and there are certain things that uh, you bring to our attention uh, as we study your word because you want us to be thinking and meditating and responding to the specific truths that you're giving us. Lord, so I pray that you would uh, give us that wisdom that you would give us the spirit of revelation and understanding in jesus name amen all right uh so first samuel uh chapter 29 let's go back uh, a couple chapters if you remember in first samuel chapter 27 david made a bad decision. Okay, he made a wrong turn, and that was the title of her teaching a few weeks ago. See, David just had this uh, amazing experience. He had an opportunity to kill King Saul, and he knew the Lord didn't want him to do it. So David, with full-fledged faith, he doesn't attack the very man that's trying to kill him. He puts it in the Lord's hand. So it appears David is walking by faith. He's on the right track. And in the very next chapter, chapter 27, he makes this foolish decision. And he goes and dwells in the land of the Philistines. And we see how this poor decision has a tumbling effect. He ends up raiding a bunch of people groups and killing women and children. He does some horrific things, but it builds up to this climactic point. Uh, in the first couple of verses of chapter 28, we see David is put in a situation where he's got to fight against his own people. With the Philistines, he has to go against the Israelites. So the author, he builds up this climactic moment to get us to this place where we're like, what's David going to do? Is he going to kill his own people? And then in chapter 28, the rest of the chapter, the story shifts focus to King Saul, right? And we see King Saul and where he's at spiritually, and he's even in a worse place than David. King Saul, if you remember, he cast all the mediums and spiritists which were people uh, that basically sought demonic forces and dead people and spirits and souls to, to get some type of information. Well, he cast them out of the land, and that was good because it was biblical, but then because he has nobody that he can talk to that can seek God on his behalf, because he killed all the priests and now Samuel's dead, he has no spiritual guidance, no spiritual counsel. So he goes and finds a medium. The very thing that he said other people shouldn't do, he ends up doing. That's why we titled that last teaching, The King of Hypocrisy. Really sums up what Saul's um, ministry was really all about. Now anyways, Saul, as he seeks this medium, he's specifically trying to communicate to Samuel the prophet. And we discussed that thoroughly. And Samuel basically gave him the same message that he had been giving him all along. Hey, God has cut you off. But he gives him some more details, right? He said, tomorrow you and your sons are going to die in battle. And then, as that climactic point, point uh, it comes to the surface, we go, what's going to happen to King Saul? Once again, in chapter 29, the story shifts back to David, okay? This is all going to uh, kind of conclude the final chapter uh, in chapter, uh, well, final two, chapter 30 and 31, we'll kind of see everything that, that comes to the surface through both David's story and Saul's story and how they align. Now, in chapter 29, as we focus back on David, we're going to see, really pick off uh, pick up where we left off in chapter 28, verse 2. Uh, let's read it so you guys can remember. First Samuel chapter 28, we'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle. 
you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. There we have it again. David is getting ready to go and fight with the Philistines against the Israelites, the people that he's supposed to be king over eventually. But we'll see in chapter 29... Just when it appears that David is going to make this decision where there's no coming back from slaughtering his own people. We see Yahweh is bigger than David's wrong decisions. And Yahweh, what he's going to do in this text in a very creative, strategic way, he's going to redirect David. He's going to uh, correct the wrong turn he made about a year and four months ago. And that's why this title is called a wrong turn directed. A wrong turn corrected. He, God, is going to redirect David. The wrong turn I'm referring to is in 1 Samuel chapter 27. What we talked about a couple uh, weeks ago. The wrong turn initially was David going and living and dwelling in a place where he wasn't supposed to be. He was dwelling amongst a, a bunch of idol worshippers. And that wrong turn led to this, now I'm in this mess where i got to go fight against my own people. But Yahweh is going to intervene again in David's life, just as he does or has done in the past. And this time, he's going to use the Philistines, the enemy of God's people, to get a message across. Let's look at the text. 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 1. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. So the Philistines, they have their entire army gathered together. They're not playing games. They're not just going to raid the Israelites. They're going to try to demolish the Israelites, wipe them out for good. And we see David is among these people. He's with this massive army that's going to get ready to uh, ultimately wipe out the very people that he loves, the very people that he's called to serve. The climax, as I mentioned, continues to build up. We see here that the armies are getting ready to battle each other. And here's David getting ready to make a decision that there's no turning back from. Why? If David joins in on this army and slaughters the Israelites, how could God put him in the position as king of Israel? I believe personally that if David engages in this battle, we don't read about the famous King David, okay? Other than this short little section. We don't see the Messiah come through the lineage of David. But God, because his plan is bigger than ours and his plan is bigger than our mistakes, he will intervene. But the emphasis I want to put on this specific section is the fact that David is getting ready to make a decision that there's no going back from. And that's the first point. Beware of the point of no return. Beware of the point of no return. This is where David is in his life. Now, David's already made some bad choices as much as he is a a man after God's own heart. We've already pointed out some of those poor choices he's made. He's going to make some really other really bad choices down the road as well. But nothing compares to what's going to happen in this text or could potentially happen in this text and David killing his own people. See, sometimes in our lives, there can come this point where we're faced with one decision that there's no coming back from. We may have made pretty poor decisions in the past, and maybe those decisions have come back to haunt us through consequences, through various avenues. But sometimes we're faced with a, with a pivotal decision. There's a fork in the road, and the Lord says, here I am on one side, and this other side, it leads to, dis- leads to destruction. Jesus said it like this, 
There's a path that leads to life. It's narrow. It's difficult. There are few who find it, but there's this broad path that everybody takes in that path. Ultimately, it leads to destruction. We see many men throughout the Bible, and even in real life, come to this place where they have a decision to make. They can make the right decision or the wrong decision. But this decision isn't like any other decision from the past. This decision could be the decision that ultimately leads them to destruction. This is where David's at. We've seen other people in this place. You remember? It was Judas. When he had the opportunity, after Jesus confronted him at the Last Supper, he had the choice. Am I going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver? Or am I not going to do it? said Satan ended up entering his heart. He already decided, it was set in his heart that he was going to sell out his Lord and Savior. We also see it with Pharaoh, right? Many times, God gave him many chances, let my people go. Through all the plagues, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God still gave him chances. And then God took his firstborn. Finally, Pharaoh let the people go. But Pharaoh couldn't get over it. He hardened his heart even more, and what did he do? He went after the Israelites, leading to his destruction. And it appears in that text, in my opinion, that Pharaoh was there when he got washed away in the Red Sea. Because he's with that army. We also see it, or we just saw it with King Saul, right? Well, the decision he made was way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember, it was after he already sacrificed the animals, uh, pretending to be the priest, which he wasn't supposed to do. But then God kind of gave him a, a, a way out, an opportunity for redemption, an opportunity for repentance. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to wipe out all the Amalekites. This is my command. You follow it fully. Hey, maybe we can work together and there can be reconciliation. And then what does Saul do? He doesn't do what God told him to do. And he keeps King Agag and he keeps some of the resources and he didn't obey the Lord. See, Saul made a decision that ended up leading to his destruction. And we see that in the last chapter. That decision that he made in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it was a permanent decision. It was basically a decision that he made to completely walk away and disregard the Lord. See, what I don't want you to hear me say is that we can make decisions that God can't forgive us of. Because that's not true. There's not a decision that we can make that God can't forgive us of. If we seek forgiveness and turn back to the Lord, what I'm saying There's something in our hearts that we see throughout Scripture, and I've seen it personally in my life, where there often comes this time period where we have an opportunity to make a decision. And when we make decisions over and over and over again, heading down a certain path, there usually comes this point where we have the potential to make a decision that hardens hardens our heart against God permanently. That it's not that we, that, that when we turn back to God, He won't forgive us. It's that we've turned so far away from the Lord, we've made a permanent decision to not walk with Jesus. That we're not going this way anymore. We are going down this road and we're set on this road. And as much as maybe, yeah, I know this is a good road and I know this way leads to life and I know all these different things, I've determined in my heart not to follow Jesus. I'm not gonna turn back to the Lord. That's what we see with Pharaoh. That's what we see With Judas, that's what we see with King Saul. But is that what we'll see with the man after God's own heart? This guy that we know loves the Lord, that wrote so many of the Psalms, that's supposed to be this amazing king. He's faced with this decision where he can harden his heart against God and everything that God called him to. Or he could submit, he could surrender, he can turn from his way. David has the opportunity to make this decision. What decision will he make? Well, let's continue on in the text. It's 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 3. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years, and to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. So look what happens. The Philistines say, what are these Hebrews doing here? Like, let's play this out. Okay, we're getting ready to fight the Hebrews, and we look over, here's 600 Hebrews on our side. Okay, uh, 
what are you thinking, Akesh? You think these guys are actually for us? And we don't know what would have actually happened. But these men, the Philistines, are looking at the men, being the Hebrews, and saying, something's off here. The Philistines are looking at something, noticing something that David couldn't notice. The Hebrews don't belong with the Philistines, and the Philistines don't belong with the Hebrews. They're different people. Why? Because they worship different gods. That's point number two. Beware of looking too much like the world. Beware of looking too much like the world. When the world has to call you out and say, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? That's a problem. That's a big problem. That's what's happening here. Wait a minute. You're with us. Aren't you supposed to be a Hebrew? Aren't you a follower of Yahweh? What are you doing here? Why are you hanging with us? We worship totally different gods. We have totally different lifestyles. If the world has to remind you that you're a Christian, huge problem okay that is a big problem if the world looks at you and go this is what christians do they hang out at clubs they get drunk they do drugs they sleep with their girlfriends when we start looking like the world and we get to this point where maybe we don't even notice it and then the world has to remind us that we look more like the world than we do what we that what we claim to believe in being christians and looking like jesus That's a huge red flag. See, David, I don't even think he gets it at this point. Yeah, he knows he's a Hebrew, but he feels like he's one of the Philistines. I'm just with the Philistines, hanging with the Philistines. I'm part of this army until the Philistine has to call him out and say, no, no, you're not part of this army. You're not one of us. You're different. You're set apart from us. How do we combat this? Well, the Bible says... In Romans chapter 12, if you want to write it down, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, Don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the word of God. It's one or the other. We're either conformed to the world, or we're conformed to the word. And let me tell you, You'll be conformed to whatever you put your heart into, okay? If you put your heart into the world and the things of the world, you'll be conformed to the world. If you put your heart into the Word of God, purposing to conform to the Word of God, being transformed by the Word of God, then that is exactly what will take place. You'll be conformed to the Word of God. You either look like the Word or you look like the world, okay? There's no in-between. Okay? And yeah, we're in a process and we're supposed to be looking more and more like the Word than we do the world. But we have to make a decision. Do I want to look like the Word of God? Am I basing my life off of this book? Or am I basing my life and my choices off of whatever else the world is doing? It's one or the other. See, David... He's spending so much time in the land of the Philistines that he's being conformed into the world, but he doesn't even recognize it. So the Philistines bring this up. What are these Hebrews doing here? But then Achish responds. Look back at verse 3. Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years, and to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. So Akesh is standing up for David. Akesh is basically saying, no, he's no longer a Hebrew. This guy is one of us. He's on our side. That might have been his past. Maybe he used to follow Yahweh, but now he follows the idols that we follow. He's part of our army. We can trust him. This should have troubled David severely. To say you're like one of the Philistines. Remember we were introduced to David a couple chapters after we were introduced to David. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, he, he was talking smack to Goliath, this undefi- or this defiled Philistine, this uncircumcised man. He's completely different from us. He's impure. He doesn't follow the Lord. And he sets himself apart 
I'm a Hebrew that loves the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this Philistine's going down. I'm not one of them. And now all of a sudden he is. Where did things go wrong? It went wrong when he chose to hang out with the wrong people. That's where it went, went wrong. It, it, it went wrong when he started hanging out with Goliath's buddies, with Goliath's family. Remember, he was in Gath. That's where Goliath was from. What if someone said this about you? No, they're not really Christians. Like, they're cool. Okay, they might call themselves Christians or, you know, do this thing on the side. But, like, they're still like us. Like, they're still part of the world. They still do the things that we do. They're, they're one of us. And the world says, yeah, put your arm, puts his arm around you and says, no, no, you're part of the world. You're here with us. You do the same type of things that we do. You say the Christian thing because, like, you know, you grew up in a Christian home and it's like a formality thing. You don't really believe in Jesus because you couldn't based on the things that you do and the way that you you live your life. This is basically what Akesh is saying about David. He's not a follower of God. At least the real God. He's a follower of our gods. He's one of us. The Bible teaches us that this shouldn't be so. In 1 Peter chapter 1, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 3, it says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. In other words, being a part of the world. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries in regard to these, they think it strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Bible says, hey, you spent enough time living in the world. And yes, we're called to be in the world, preaching the gospel to the world. The, Jesus makes that very clear in John chapter 17. But we also got to be very careful that we don't conform to the world, that the world doesn't look at us and say, hey, they're just like us. Now, yes, there should be forms of relatability and we're called to be all things to all men, but we got to be extremely careful that we don't dwell in the land of the Philistines for so long that we believe we are a Philistine, that we are part of this world. If the world can look on at you and not see a difference, that's a huge problem. Picking it back up, 1 Samuel, chapter 29, verse 4. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with that, for with what? Could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? So the Philistines, the princes, they get mad at Akesh. They get angry with him. They're like, how come you don't see what we see? This guy is a Hebrew. What if he turns on us in battle, right? Every time we see a Hebrew, they end up trying to fight us and kill us. What's different about these 600 Hebrews? Now, we don't know what David would have done. Maybe he would have turned on them in battle. Based on some of his decisions, it's really hard to say. The story doesn't share because there's a change that takes place. And look what happens. It continues on in 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 5. It says, Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands? Remember, this is a story the top hit way back and they still remember it. The Philistines still remember who David is, but David forgot. David forgot who he was. Wait a minute. No, no. You're a warrior for God. You're not a warrior for the enemy. What are you doing fighting the enemy's battle? You're fighting on the wrong side. You're on the wrong team. David spent so much time in the land of the Philistines that he had to be reminded by the Philistines who he was. 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright 
and you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army is good in my sight. For to this day, I've not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the Lord of the Philistines. Just when we're thinking before the Philistines speak up, David's going to make this horrific decision. How can God put him in the place of king of Israel after he slaughters his people? God end up, ends up using the Philistines to redirect David. This is the third point. God is faithful to redirect us. God is faithful to redirect us. God is so faithful to redirect us. And he does it through many forms. He does it in many ways. In this text, he's literally using the enemy to redirect. Like, that's how much God loves David. He's using the enemy to get across to him. Why? Because there's no other Hebrews. He has no other spiritual counsel. So he's using the idol worshipers to get a message across to him. God can use the enemy to redirect us. You know what he can also use? Donkeys. He's used donkeys to redirect people in the past. He uses people. He uses family. He uses friends. He uses believers. He uses unbelievers. He uses blessings. He also uses trials. The Lord, often, one of the big ways He redirects us is through storms in our life, through trials, through tribulations. If you remember, in the story of Jonah, that's exactly what He did. In Jonah chapter 1, in Jonah chapter 1, if you remember, God gave Jonah a mission. And He said, hey, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go preach to the Assyrians, the people that you hate the most in this world. Yeah, I want you to go preach the gospel to them. Your enemies, yes, I want you to go there. And Jonah's like, no way, I'm not going there. So Jonah, he attempts to flee. And as he's on this road of rebellion, trying to go down his own path because he doesn't want what God has for him. Look what it says in verse 4. I don't know if you flip there. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. The Lord sent a storm. All these men we see, they thought they were going to die. They're freaking out. What's happening? We're all going to die. So this was a serious storm. Jonah knew, hey, this storm is about me. This thing that almost killed people was God's way of redirecting the man he loves it was his way of redirecting Jonah. God will go to great lengths to redirect us. He'll use storms. He'll use trials in our life. He'll use different forms of discipline. He'll use different ways of, 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 of bringing us to a place that we have to face consequences for our actions. And we can look at that and be like, God, you, I thought you were merciful. I thought you were gracious. I thought I don't always get what I deserve. And the Lord says, no, no, no. This is grace. Giving you this, confidence, uh, this consequence. Bringing you to this place in your life where you're going through this devastating trial where you think you're going to die. That is my grace. Why? Because I'm trying to prevent you from going down the wrong road even further. I don't want you to keep going down the wrong track. So I'll do anything in my power other than force my will on you. I won't force you to do anything, but I'll do what I can to get your attention. So you go the route that I'm calling you to go. Sometimes the Lord uses the enemy. Sometimes he uses people. Sometimes he uses storms. Other times he, he uses his spirit. And we even see, as we're speaking of direction, times where people are thinking they're going down the right road and God says, hold up, not right now. I got something else for you. He did it with Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, one of my favorite chapters, we'll get there soon on Sundays. Acts chapter 16, we see Paul. Okay, Paul. Radical transformation in chapter 9. We'll talk about that too here uh, in a little bit. He knows he's called to be a missionary. He's called to preach the gospel. The Lord has given the apostle calling on his life. And so he goes about doing what he thinks the Lord wants him to do. And it says in Acts chapter 16 verse 6, now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. 
They were going to preach the word. And it says the spirit prevented them from preaching the word. Why? Because God had something else for him during that time period. Then look, he's not done. Verse seven. After that, they came to Mysia. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. The point is, even when we have the right intentions, the right motivation, and we're seeking the Lord's direction, we're trying to do what God has called us to do. God has called me to do this or be this or share the gospel or whatever the case may be. The Lord is so faithful Even when we're trying to do the right thing at the wrong time, he'll redirect us. And that's exactly what he does to Paul. Hey, you're not supposed to do it here. You're not supposed to do it here. And as Paul's walking by faith, purposing to do what God, he thinks God wants him to do, then what happens in verse 9, it says he gets a vision, right? God gives him a vision. He says, no, it's not there. Spirit prevents him. Not there. Spirit prevents him. Then... Paul receives this vision. Sometimes we don't know where to go. Sometimes we don't know what to do. And sometimes we have uh, seriously good, sincere motivations for doing the things that we're doing. And we can get so caught up with, God, where do you want me? Okay, What do you want me to do? And this is what I'll tell you. If your heart is in the right place and you're really seeking the Lord for direction, even if you make a wrong turn, He'll redirect you because if you're purposing to walk by faith on your road to faith, he'll give the vision, give you the vision that you need to gain so that you know the direction that he's called you to go. See, God he uses many means to get us to the place that he's called us to be. He speaks in so many different ways. He has many ways of getting us back on the right track when we've gone down the wrong road. But there's also a warning attached to this. See, God did this with David. And we see him do it with Jonah. And we see him do it with Paul. And there's times where the Lord redirects us. But there's other times that he just gives us over to the decisions that we made. And he says, you know the road that's righteous. You know where the narrow path is. You know where I am. And I'm here waiting for you. But if you want to continue to go down that path, maybe I tried to get your attention. I tried to warn you. But because you're set in your ways... It's out of my hands. There's nothing else I can do. The point is that it's so important for us to truly desire God's direction in our life, to truly seek it. We can't look at this and say, well, David made a wrong turn. He went down a wrong path. So every time I make a wrong turn and go down a wrong path, there's just going to be grace waiting for me in the future. God's going to redirect me all the time. There might come a point where He says, no, I'm not doing it this time. I've been trying to redirect you and you haven't been listening. For David, God redirected him through the Philistines. But I want to point out something else here in verse 7. Look what it says. Therefore, return now, this is Achish speaking, and go in peace that you may not displease the Lord of the Philistines. First, David was rejected by Saul, right? You can't live in the palace anymore. You're gone. Okay, so David can't live among his people. And now he goes to live in the land of the Philistines and he's in this backslidden state, but he's not accepted there either. He truly has no place where he fits in. He doesn't fit in with his people and he doesn't fit in with these other people. But the problem is God never told him to leave the land of his people. God never told him that. The, The last thing God told him was to go back to Israel. Okay, that's the last thing that God told him. You need to be back with your people. David made this decision on his own to go dwell in the land of the Philistines, which led to this whole backslidden um uh, attitude and perspective and position that David found himself in. But this is also true for backslidden believers. This is also true for lukewarm believers. They have too much of the Lord in them to have peace in the world. 
and too much of the world in them to have peace in the Lord. They're caught in this in-between state. Jesus tells us about that. No, no, no. That's not a place that you want to be. In fact, in Luke, or sorry, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, speaking of the church of the Laodiceans, he says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You're somewhere in the middle. I got one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord, but I haven't really made up my mind. Like, yeah, I said a prayer, I'm going to follow Jesus, but only one foot has gone that way. I've taken one step in that direction, but I still want these other things that the world has to offer. You'll never fit in there. There's not a place to fit in there. The Lord didn't set it up in a way that our faith can be indifferent, that that we can be indifferent towards our faith, that we can be somewhere in the middle. No, no, no. The Lord said, "I, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I came to divide families. What he's saying is he's not trying to break up families and he he is the prince of peace. But what he's saying is I came to draw a line in the sand and you pick, you be a part of the world or you be with the Lord, with the world or with the Lord. It's one or the other. But if you got your foot on one side and the other, you are going to destroy yourself. You're never going to fit in. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. That wasn't just a warning. That was an invitation. I want you to be with me. I want you to be for me. But if you keep trying to put one foot in and one foot out, you're going to destroy yourself. A Christian faith is not one that was ever meant to be lukewarm. It was not one that I was ever meant to be one foot out and one foot in. Just as we see with David. He doesn't have a place among the Philistines. Even though he wants to be there during this time period, when he sought the Philistines for protection, justifying being there, is destroying him. So, Akesh tells him, return, go back to Ziklag, which was a place, if you remember, that um, that Akesh gave David. Uh, but Ziklag, we see in Joshua, uh, was supposed to be um, part of the land of the tribe of Judah. Okay, so this is uh, at the time it was kind of technically it, it was it was previously Philistine territory. But once they made this decision to give this land to David, it became um, uh, the, the the Israelites territory once again. And we'll see that come up later uh, in Scripture. First Samuel, chapter 29, verse eight. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? Look at what David's doing. He's trying to argue his case to stay with the Philistines, right? We're all thinking the same king thing. David, what are you doing, bro? Like God is using the Philistines to get you out of there, to save your life, to save you from making this horrendous decision. You need to see God at work in your life and do something about it. God's trying to redirect you, but you've got to respond to the redirection. And that's point number four. Respond to God's redirection. Respond to God's redirection. We have to be willing to be redirected. We have to be willing to be corrected. If we're wrong, if we're going down the wrong path, we have to have enough humility in us to say, hey, if I'm going down the wrong path, I want to know. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 1, or 12 verse 1, Proverbs 12, 1, if you want to write it down, it says, he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> That's what it says. He who hates correction is stupid. If you don't like being redirected, if you don't like being corrected, it's foolishness. Why? Because we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. We all make dumb decisions. He who hates correction is he who thinks every decision he makes is the right decision. And if you're that person, you're wrong, right? Every decision you make is not the right decision. Sometimes we make, me included, decisions that are wrong. We got to be willing to be corrected when we make some of those decisions. Do you receive correction? 
Do you receive correction willingly, with humility? Or do you always get defensive and always have to plead your case? Why you made that decision? Well, this is why I did this and I'm going to justify this. It might not have been the best decision, but this is why I did. That's not a good place to be. That's pride. That's not humility. That's resistance. That's not a willingness. We've got to be willing to be corrected. This can be with little things and big things. Especially if we're going down the wrong path. Like David was going down a dangerous road that's going to lead to our demise. We've got to have enough humility to say, hey, if I'm going down the wrong path, let me know. Because the Bible says this is common with men. In Proverbs chapter 14, that there's a way that seems right to a man and its way ends in death. <laughs> there's a lot of people that think that they're going down the right road and that road leads to death. So we've got to have enough humility to say, hey, if I'm going down the wrong road, someone tell me. Please, correct me, redirect me. And respond to that redirection. Someone might tell you, and you might not have enough humility to receive it. There might be too much pride, too much stubbornness. No, I'm set in my ways. This is what I've determined to do in my heart. We see that's where Saul was at. Not this Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who, who would later be called Paul. See, Paul was on the road to Damascus, Seeking to do what? Persecute Christians, right? What Paul thought is that he was doing the Lord's will. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, I am so zealous about the things of God. No one had more zeal than I did about the things of God. So Paul, he thinks he's going down the right path. He thinks he's doing something that's bringing God glory. And what happens? Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus through a bright light. Knocks him off his high horse, if you will. Paul goes blind. He can't see. And then Paul and Jesus have this dialogue. I want to read it for you in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9. Verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Because of Saul's pride. Because of his stubbornness, he was so set that what he was doing was right. And God had to come and intervene and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. But look at this. He still had a choice. He still had a choice. He could have waited till he recovered and gone back to persecuting Christians again. But that's not how he responded. The Lord had to humble him. It had to be the Lord himself who corrected Paul so that he would understand that the road that he's going to was a dangerous one. But he asked two questions. He says, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Okay, God, I'm willing to change. All right, you've humbled me. I get it. What I was doing was wrong. What am I supposed to do now? Okay, I get it. That road is wrong. Where am I supposed to go now? See, the Lord, once again, will often be faithful to redirect us. But we have to respond to the redirection and the correction. But not only that, we have to invite it. We have to invite it. Lord, I want to know if I am going down this path and it is going to lead me to demise. Tell me, please. I don't care how comfortable I am with these things. I don't care if I love what I'm doing right now. If I'm doing the wrong thing, please tell me, warn me, get this thing across to me. That's exactly what we see in the Psalms. It's Psalm 139. Verse 23 to 24. In Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Why is he saying that? He's saying, if there's anything in my heart that's influencing me from going down the, the, the wrong road, Search me and know me and reveal to me what that thing is so I can walk in the way everlasting. So I can get back on the road of righteousness. It takes humility to ask God to correct us. It takes a willingness to receive the correction. 
And it takes the strength of the Lord to respond to that correction. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 9. Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So David reluctantly, but wisely, he took the way of escape, if you will. He, he realized, okay, well, I don't have an option here. God just slammed a door shut. I have to go the way that they're addressing me. But we don't know if David actually recognized that the Lord was in this. See, we don't see God, um, we don't see God talked about in the sense of David seeking God in the text. We don't see God speaking in the text, but we certainly see God working and we certainly see God moving. And though it doesn't say, thus says the Lord, in a way we do see the Lord speaking. But the Lord this time, he's doing it very subtly. This is the fifth and final point. Look for subtle redirection. Look for subtle redirection. And we'll see in the next chapter, God speaks specifically um, through the... Um, through the ephod, David seeks the Lord with the high priest, with the ephod, uh, and he gets some really clear direction, and thus says the Lord, we see that. But the Lord, he doesn't always speak so clearly. Sometimes he speaks very clearly, and you're like, I know the Lord told me this. Other times, he doesn't. He doesn't always speak through profound circumstances. He doesn't always speak through signs and wonders and miracles. Sometimes it's very subtle. In 1 Kings chapter 19, in 1 Kings chapter 19, <clears throat> Elijah, desiring direction from the Lord, has this dialogue with him. In verse 11, it says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still, still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? You're in the wrong place. And Elijah was because he fled in fear. He's a Jezebel. But the point is, God had to teach Elijah something. Sometimes I don't speak through all these big things that are going on. Yeah, I do sometimes. But I don't always speak through the big storms. I don't, I'm always speaking to you through these crazy circumstances. You've got to incline your ear to hear the still, small voice. Sometimes the Lord is trying to speak to us subtly. Sometimes He's just trying to nudge us with His Spirit. Not because He doesn't want us to know what He's saying, but that we learn to recognize His voice. That we learn to be aware when He's speaking and when He's not. When He's yelling, yeah, I know that's the Lord, but when He's speaking quietly, can I focus enough? Can I pay enough attention to recognize His voice? The Lord does this with me in weird ways. Sometimes it's through subtle circumstances. I was actually uh, last week studying for this uh, this teaching, and uh, I was studying from uh, eight in the morning till six at night, <laughs> and and uh, just nonstop studying. I'll, I'll do that usually like once or twice a week, where I just this whole day I got to just study and get as much knocked out as I can. I actually I love it. It's not like I have to do it. I love doing it. Um, so anyways, uh, so it got to be six o'clock at night. And, you know, when you're studying for like multiple messages, not I don't know if any of you ever study, but think about studying for that many hours straight. Right. Your mind starts to get a little like a little crazy. So I'm starting to get there a little bit, but I'm like, I'm determined. I want to finish this. Right. And all of a sudden, my only my word documents, they freeze on. me, And that's what I use to type my notes. 
And so I keep trying, right? I tr- keep trying to click on Word documents, open different ones. Everything else works. My internet works. My other uh, materials work. Everything else works. But my Word documents don't work. So I keep restarting my computer and turning it back on. I'm like, man, Lord, I, I really want to finish this. And I just sat there for a second. You fool. Like, <laughs> aren't you listening? You need to take a break. Okay, <laughs> You need to take some time and walk away from this and, and get back to it. See, sometimes the Lord will speak subtly and we'll fight against it because of our stubbornness and because of our pride. But it's so important for us to incline our ear to hear and say, wait a minute, am I fighting a battle that, that I can't want? It could even be a good thing. Or it's like, hey, 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 Elijah, where are you right now? Why are you where you are? Maybe, maybe you're not supposed to be doing this exact thing right now. Maybe you've got to switch it up in this moment. But if we're not, inclining our ear to hear and being in tune with the still small voice, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the message. We're going to miss the redirection. I want to close here. In 1 Samuel, chapter 29, if you recall, it says that Akesh told him, wait till morning comes and then leave in the morning, okay? There's a contrasting thing that's happening. If you look at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 28, when did Saul leave the medium? He left at night. David is leaving in the morning. Why? Saul's heading down a road of darkness where David has the hope of light. We see the beginning of God doing something, intervening in David's life once again. And we'll see in the next chapter, David kind of rekindles his relationship with God. We begin to see him as we saw him in the beginning, the, the man after God's own heart. But none of this would have ever happened had God not used the Philistines to redirect David and get him back to the place that he called him to go. And again, this also wouldn't happen if David didn't listen and respond to the redirection. Saul made a decision that brought him to a place of no return, utter darkness. David has the opportunity to continue walking in the light. And it all came down to responding to God's redirection. How am I going to respond when the Lord communicates to me? Well, how am I going to respond when he tries to knock me off the course that I'm on and get me back on the right one? And if I am on the right one, how will he encourage me and solidify and confirm to me that I'm on the right track? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty and your love for us that, God, you love us so much that that you that you do lay the path <laughs> and we don't always see it. God, we don't always know uh, where you're leading us. And sometimes uh, we can find ourselves in places like David where we're in the land of the enemy, hanging out with people that we shouldn't be doing things that we shouldn't be for far too long, a year and four months for David. And, uh, <laughs> and, and God, we, we miss it. But I pray that we would have uh, ears to hear and eyes to see the ways you redirect us, whether it's like an obvious uh, neon sign, um, some catastrophe, some trial. Um, but Lord, we, don't, we know you don't always speak through those things. And, and sometimes we just got to listen to the still small voice. And I pray as you communicate to us and you purpose to direct us and redirect us that, uh, that we would respond with humility, willingness, and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.